Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We are live with Gross Anatomy, the show that explores the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture. And movies, and TV, and books, and podcasts, and the world around us. And I am Dr. Jason Cohen, late as always. Yes. And my co-host is... Raya O'Neill, not late. Not late, on time, early even, which my everybody says that I try to tell my kids is that Early's on time, on time. Early's on time, exactly. And today we are joined by Kim Gordon, who I feel like I know. I feel like I should know you. I feel like I know you. Do I know you? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm a nurse, um, but I worked in the labor and delivery field. So a little bit different area of the body than the thyroid. And and where are you from? I, I hear an accent. It sounds like a Midwest accent. So I'm originally from Washington State. Grew up in Washington, in the very northwest corner in a little town called Port Angeles. That's not mid Midwest. <laughs> no. Then my um, joined my husband, my well now ex husband joined the Air Force, and we went to South Dakota where I finished nursing school. So that's probably what you hear. Maybe I don't know. You sound like one of my partner, Doctor Gordon's wife, and she is from Doctor Gordon's wife. Yeah. Well, that's, this is, doc, this is Kim Gordon. I know. I know you sound like Dr. Leo Gordon's wife, Jan Gordon, who I think is from Iowa. No, no. I know I'm not Jan Gordon and I know I'm not married to a physician um, and I've never been to Iowa. Okay. All right. So, so it's not you. No, no. Nice. And, and you're a nurse. I am. I am. I graduated from the University of South Dakota. I've never been to South Dakota where I'm very I'm going to say something very naive because I'm I I don't get out much where. What's the in the Dakotas is some monument, right? What which Mount Rushmore Mount Rushmore? Yes, I I was going to say it, but I didn't want to. I knew that, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to sound like the moron that I am. Yeah, I actually, we had my nursing graduation at Mount Rushmore. Wow. It was very cool. Very cool. That is really cool. I need to get there. I need to get there. And then, so after nursing graduation, what did you do then? After nursing graduation, I went, I was during the, that was a long time ago. So it was during the days where they had preceptorships at hospitals. And I got a preceptorship at the um, Rapid City Regional Hospital in their labor and delivery unit. And I worked in labor and delivery for probably 10 plus years. Wow. Then I ventured into all across the country because, of course, the Air Force, we moved around a lot. Oh, right. um, Was that that traveling nursing, travel nursing, or, or it was more that you would just have to keep getting new jobs? Yeah, I would keep getting new jobs. I worked um, at some of the actual Air Force bases in in their labor and deliveries, or I'd work at the community hospital that was in whatever city we landed in. And let me ask you a question about being a labor and delivery nurse. Does that mean that you're also in the OR for C-sections? Back then it did. Ah. Back then then we we were the scrub tech, we were the circulator, we were everything. Wow. So it's, it was an amazing experience. That, yeah, it was. So, so you would be 
in there when the baby's being delivered vaginally, but then you'd also be going in on C-sections. Yep. Wow. Getting instruments and doing, you know, scrubbing the patient down and helping anesthesia. Yep. It was, you did everything back then. And today that's, it's, it's not like that. You know, I don't know if maybe it still is reminiscent of that in some of the smaller hospitals. It's been a while since I've um, done any patient care or done labor and delivery, but from all the big hospitals that where I talk to labor and delivery nurses, they, they have an OR crew from the main OR designated for labor and delivery. They, and they kind of intermingle. Got it. Got it. So how, so you did uh, labor and delivery nursing for how long? Uh, 10 plus years. Then I um, couldn't get a job in labor and delivery at a job where I was in Texas, so this little tiny town in Texas. And so I got a hospice job and that's where I, I kind of dove into the home health arena. And so from hospice, I did that for about a year. Then I went into more of the traditional home health, Medicare for senior citizens, those that receive you know, Medicare, home health in that spectrum. I did that for a few years and then I got into the pediatric home health space, which is, is that's where I ended my, my patient care and um, then became, you know, a case manager, a director of nursing, a regional director, et cetera, et cetera. At, at hospitals? No, at, a, at home health companies. Oh, wow. And, and what, what state is that in? So I currently work for Team Select. And we are in, oh, Fred's going to kill me if I get this wrong, but 13 states, um, we've been acquired, you know, integrating and acquiring with, with rapidly. So it's easy to lose track. Um, and so now what I do is I help, I help when, uh, when we partner with an, with another company and we integrate those companies, I go out to where that company is and help them get accustomed to all of our systems, our policies, our regs, the people at corporate kind of help them become part of the family. So that's what I do now. So you're involved in both hospice and home health. Now I'm just involved with mainly pediatric home health. Oh, wow. Some some Medicare. The hospice and home health business is an interesting business, I bet. Eh? Especially for especially for pediatrics. It is. It is. And how did you and, and Rhea meet up? How did that happen? I'm gonna let her speak. Or, or is that a personal or is that a personal? No, no. I, 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 I think it was through a friend of Rhea's, but I don't want to misspeak. Yes, it was through my friend Carrie, who does public relations for a lot of health and wellness and medical companies and brands. Um, from nonprofits to regular businesses, LLCs. And she's always pitching me because I write on the side, but nothing ever fits for what I write about. And so now after doing this podcast, she pitched me on amazing missions and companies like the Unforgotten Families. And then I like skimmed through it. And then I waited a couple of days and I was like, oh my God, this would be perfect for Gross Anatomy. Connect me with Kim Gordon. There you go. And there you go. So, so what, what is that? The, the, what is it called? The Unforgotten Families. Unforgotten Organization that was started. The the mission is to help those families and patients, the pediatric families and patients 
um, that have special medical needs um, help their lives become more holistic, um, help them to remain at home in a safe, secure environment where they're receiving all the needs that they might meet from a, from a home health perspective. And you started this? No, I helped. I helped. We always had this mission of, I don't know if you're familiar. Do you, are you familiar with, um, the benefit in Colorado that allows parents to become paid caregivers? No. So, um, I don't want to take up too much time, but I'll, I'll try to condense it. But a 20 ish years ago, a mom went to her home health company and said, listen, I can't keep a provider in my house. And because of that, I can't keep a job. I, my husband can't keep a job. Our family is a mess because, you know, obviously if they're calling out five minutes before a shift, I mean, I assume, do you have children? Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine, especially if you have multiple children, Yeah. totally throws the whole day off and then not being able to keep a job. Um, and not being able to financially provide for the family. So she went to the home health company, this mother, and she said, why can't I be my child's home health aide? Anyway, long story short, and it long, because this took a lot of meandering back and forth with the state and Medicaid and everything. Um, she was able to become the aide for her family. Now she's able, the child is receiving all the cares that, that he or she needed. They're receiving a paycheck. Mom's receiving um, health insurance benefits along with potentially other children or husband or whatever. Um, and Ray and I were discussing this earlier, but the the ripple effect of having that family be in their home with people that absolutely love and care about them, being able to financially provide for that family, it is something that's amazing to watch. Hmm. So over the course of time, this Medicaid benefit in Colorado just continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And, and so from the home health agency perspective, there was a group of us that said, why can't we do this everywhere? This makes so much sense. And it's reducing rehospitalizations. It's reducing hospitalizations. It's reducing ER visits because not only is that child receiving the care that they need on a consistent basis, they have access to a nursing staff and an RN as their case manager. And now that RN can communicate with the physician and, and get all the things done that can prevent that emergency room visit. And to watch this blossom and grow and change the lives of these families has been amazing. And so that myself and, and others had that driving force behind us, which is why we started the Unforgotten Families. And, and is that just in Colorado or, or are there other states that do this now? So right now, um, Colorado, Arizona, the Unforgotten Families group of home health agencies and providers and advocates um, helped pass legislation in Arizona that just started April 1st. Um, Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, and that's it for right now. And and do the the do the family members who get paid do they have to learn stuff? Do they have to get certain credentials? Do they actually have to go to some kind of schooling? Or they do, they do. So it depends on the state. It's it's loosely based around a home health aid. There's different acronyms depending on the state. 
Um, but basically it's the same kind of schooling. It, it's about 75 to 120 ish hours. And it's a mix of curriculum based and clinicals that what we, there are a lot of agencies, what they do is they actually pay for that schooling and help get that parent or whoever is going to be the provider through the school and kind of becomes their admissions kind of counselor along the way, helps them get through school, and then we'll start the admission process on the home health end of the spectrum. Do they do they have to have all the schooling, all the hours done before they could start being the caregiver that's getting paid, or could it be like a work in progress? So in order, in order for them to provide the care, they have to be licensed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm or certified or whatever the state says they have to be. So um, now there are some cases where the home health agency mom, let's say mom wants to become the, for the sake of this conversation, we'll just call it an aide. Let's say mom wants to become the aide, Um, but the child still qualifies for services. So maybe while she's going to school, the agency might put another aide in the home allotted amount of hours, you know, so mom can go to school. It doesn't have to be mom. It can be anybody because right. really what, what this boils down to is it's a Medicaid benefit and that child can receive that Medicaid benefit from whoever. The, the problem is most states have a regulation that prohibit related people from being the caregiver. Mm. And then you run into the scheduling issues. You know, because who and who's going to care for your child better than you? Right. Right. So I I don't know a ton about um, um, home health and caregiving, but I I thought that there there are three distinct entities. I, I thought I thought hospice is one thing, which is usually more end of life care. And then there's um, home health and then there's caregiving. And I thought the home health gets covered by insurance and all of that. But I thought caregiving tends to be like one of those weird kind of cash businesses where you only get a care where there's no government money for caregiving. And it's and it's like, you know, only people who have money to get caregivers. Right. So it's it's it. So what I'm speaking to is just the pediatric side of the house in the over 18 or 21, depending on the state, um, once you reach that age, it it does become more of that three linear choice of buckets, right? Right. Um, but in the pediatric space, because of EPSDT, which says that the states have to provide whatever care that child needs, um, then what happens is the states are, by law, have to so let's say if a, if a if a child falls outside of the scope of normal development and maturation um and they need help with bathing toileting etc or maybe they even have a trait or a vent or a g-tube um then the state has to provide a level of care that is safe for that patient so mm-hmm. then within the pediatric space they could have they could qualify for private duty nursing or they could qualify for um, aid services. Both of those services are are considered skilled, so they fall under home health. 
Oh, wow. So it's for kids. It's a different ball game. Basically. It is. It is. Oh, wow. And then, and I saw in, in the description, it, it says medically fragile child. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting term. What, what is, is, what does that mean? A medically fragile child? What? So in the way I view it is it's, I, I think some people might think medically fragile as, oh, they need to be in the hospital. You know, a lot of these kids, they may have medically fragile diagnoses, but their condition is chronic. So they don't want to live in a hospital forever. So, you know, they might be on a ventilator or a trach, but they still need baths. They still need their pajamas changed. They still need diaper changes potentially or continent incontinent care. Um, or they may be a little kiddo that has an eating disorder or a GI issue and they have a G-tube and developmental delay. And so they're totally fine to be at home running around and or playing or whatever the case may be, but they're still not developing you know, according to expectations. So it's no certain kind of disease. It could be, it, it doesn't, yeah. it could be, it could be anything. It could, it really could. So let me like um, autism. Right. You know, autism runs that whole gamut of, of clinical presentation. And you could have a child who no one on the exterior would know that they even have autism, or you might have a child that, you know, can't walk and has trouble talking and they obviously have aid needs because they, they need that to be safe and to be taken care of. So like even a babysitter, theoretically, for like an autistic kid could be. Um, no, they, they have to have that need of um, of that skilled aid. And so if you think about it from a very high level, um, that is ADLs, IADLs. So you're bathing, you're um, diapering continent care, ambulation, transferring, those types of items. But not someone who just can't be left alone? Right, right. I mean, they may have that alongside of all these other skilled aid needs. Right. Wow. How long has this been been in existence? Gosh, it's been 20 plus years for Colorado. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you've been doing this for, for 20 plus years. It's been about 12 to 15. Wow. And where do you see, where do you see things going? You know, um, I've been very heavily involved on the legislative side of the house, um, met with many governor staff, um, senators, Republican, Democrat, all those type Medicaid directors. And um, there was a point where I got a little bit down because it's such a slow moving hamster wheel. If I, you know, I, I hope that doesn't sound too disrespectful, but, um, and then, um, Arizona got going and that was so fun to watch. And it actually happened and New Hampshire is growing and Pennsylvania is starting. So I got down for a little bit, but now I'm back up. Um, it's slow. I'm, you know, and that's why the unforgotten families is another reason why they're around. Um, because we want this to move faster because we want to help uh, there's just so many families that could benefit and, and have their lives changed. And what happens to say a, a 60 or, or I guess a 17 year old who, who now turns 18. 
Does something happen? So it depends on the state and how they have their Medicaid benefits built. Um, I can speak for most home health agencies that I, that I'm aware of. They work with that new case manager. So they transfer from the pediatric to the adult and they help them determine what benefits going to closely mimic what they had. So that hopefully there's not too much disruption, but there's no, like, I know it's like certain, I'm trying to think specifically, but I know certain childhood illnesses who are treated by pediatric specialists will continue to take care of these people into adulthood because it's special stuff. Yeah. So, but that doesn't happen with with you guys. No, unfortunately, because it is dictated by the state's Medicaid. So it's payer source driven. Got it. Got it. And then was there something, and this might be a personal question that drew you to doing this? Do you have some, your own personal story or experience? I don't have a a personal within my family. I think it was just my, it's interesting how my career grew. Um, I started out with the newborn babies um, and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sad things that happen in labor and delivery too. Mm. So then when I moved into the pediatric space and I got to see the result from, you know, because in labor and delivery, it, you know, it's kind of like the ER, you, you treat them and then you may probably never see them again, you know, yeah. but you wonder and you think about them. And, um, and so now I was getting to see, oh, that's what this looks like at age two. And that's what this looks like at age five. And I, when you're in these patients' homes in their, with their, in their family space, and they're at very low points of, of their life, potentially, you get to know them. Of course, it's always professional, but on a very deep, intimate level. And to watch what happens with your own eyes about how that when their lives change and to go from seeing a frazzled mom who never even gets to shower, doesn't ever have a smile on her face, you know, is just barely keeping her head above water just to keep everyone fed and, you know, living to now you walk in and the windows are open and the curtains are up and the house is clean and mom's had a shower and she can afford to buy some lipstick and she cares about herself and she cares about life again. It's just, that's, that's as personal for me as it could possibly get. Yeah. Do you at this point still go into the homes or you're really more administrative? I'm really more administrative, but I do go out um, with other people. I, I, I don't get comp checked or anything anymore. So we all know how the rules go, you know, so I can't touch anyone or do any nursing, but I do go out and I actually have lunch and meet with some families in Colorado that I've you know, known for 15 years still. When you first started, you were doing the, the actual visits. Were you one of yep. the nurses doing that? Yeah. Yep. Did it, did it, did you get burnt out? No, I just have always been very motivated and you know, I always want to keep going. What's next? What's next? Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, I, I, I never got burned out. Hmm. And then in fact, that was, what, that was one reason why I had a hard time moving into the office. Right. Exactly. Do you still, did you keep your nursing license uh, current yeah. still? Yeah, I do. And so how was, how were things during COVID? What was that like? It, it, 
to me, because I was going from state to state, that was so dramatic to me to watch how within different states were processing, handling, and receiving all of the information. Very interesting. Um, For example, you go to New Jersey and then you go to Florida and it literally was like night and day. And they're dealing with the same things, right? It was just Mm -hmm. interesting. But besides that, from a patient level, um, the, the folks that had the parent or related caregivers, it was amazing because they already lived in the same home. There was no exposure risk. Um, you know, Medicaid for a, a while allowed telephonic visits. So mm-hmm. they really were able to create a protective little bubble uh, around their child. Um, in the private duty nursing space, it was it was rough because you have you have trach ventilated patients you know, that they don't want a new person coming into that home every day. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if, if the employee got infected, one of the family members got infected, it created a whole circle of events, which we actually saw a rise in hospitalizations because they went without staff for a long time or, you know, there was an exposure or, I mean, the, a plethora of the, it was a snowball. Mm-hmm. In that, we're in that space. Yeah. Did COVID help accelerate the legislature, um, the laws allowing this thing where family members or, or the, because I would imagine that would have been good for, good for you guys, COVID. Yeah. I, I, and that's what, that's was our thoughts as well. Right. Um, verbally, the feedback to us was, oh yeah, this makes sense. Um, this is great. But again, the wheels of government are very slow to turn. Right. Your your organization sounds brilliant. I mean, it, it sounds like it, it would be like a no-brainer that it would be everywhere. No? It, I, it, I'm the biggest fan and advocate. I uh, and, and to me, that's what's so frustrating because it's it makes so much sense, common sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, it's multifactorial why... This isn't moving. You've got different political views, uh, you know, between parties, where the state is in election. I mean, there are so many factors that that go into this. But, yeah, it makes sense. And it's simple. What's the argument against it? Like where where are there where where are you having hard times with for it? So, again, it kind of depends on the state, but some of it is a parent shouldn't get paid for taking care of their child, to which we reply, this is not taking care of a child. This is providing medical needs based on diagnoses that are outside of the scope of parenting. Mm-hmm. For example, you you shouldn't be having to change your 15-year-old's diaper, but it has to be done. Mm-hmm. That That is a big one. The other one um, is that people are afraid that private duty nursing will go away. And our response to that is, um, no, really what this allows us to do is to build a personalized care plan for the child for with appropriate skill level. And so what you actually do is provide this appropriate care level to this patient with a lower acuity over here, frees up the nurse to come here to work on a trach vent patient. Yeah. And either way, I mean, the government somehow will be paying, whether it's unemployment for that parent or, right, right? Yeah. 
can the parent collect unemployment as well? No, right? They're, no. Right. So because they're 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 usually employed for 40 hours a week. Right. So either way, the government's going to pay. That that's should be the argument in favor of it. Absolutely. I would think, I would think California would be or would already have it, right? Oh, we 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 met with California. And no, I mean they're one they're one of the most, you know, socially conscious states, I thought. No? Yeah, we ha- there's 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 a lot of work left in California. Interesting. I think I think we may be close in some instances. I don't want to misspeak. Um but when we met with them about a year and a half ago, we had we had a little bit of work left to go. But I hear some rustlings in the background that maybe there's some payer sources that are going to allow that to, to happen. And so this is Medicaid. This isn't Medicare. Correct. Right. Because Medicare is only for the elderly. Right. Yep. Got yep. it. Got it. OK. So there's no way to get it up, turn it into a federal thing. It's got to be a state level thing then. Yep. So, so literally you're going into a new package, mm. every state, you know, because no state does anything the same. Um, and so you, you know, it takes a while to figure out, okay, how are they operating? Where are the funds coming from? Who's in charge of this? So you've got to figure out the landscape first before you can kind of go attack the problem. And are there... Are there, I know they're home health companies. So are there home health companies that are just pediatric home health companies or, or most home health companies would do both? There's both. Uh, So some some home health companies do kids and adults. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. And then some are just strictly pediatrics and some are just nursing. Right. I mean, it's a totally different. What about end of life stuff with kids? Are you involved in that as well or? So there I mean, are it's such a sad, but oh yeah, I am. Yeah. There are some pediatric hospices. Um, a lot of the times though, parents aren't don't want to go the hospice route because it's a child. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are some instances where the home health agencies are acting as a hospice, you know but they don't want to switch their benefit because you know how that works. They've got to switch all their benefits to hospice. Right. And they don't want to stop the chemo. And right. I, I mean, you know, who would want to do that? So, um, so yeah, there are some home health agencies that will operate as kind of a hospice but underneath the home health space. Hmm. It's all, it's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see, what do you see yourself? You see yourself staying in this for, for the long haul, do you see yourself pivoting at all? I, you know, I think, I think I'm about, I, I want to see this. I, I feel like I'm going to know, right. When it gains enough momentum, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to go, okay, yeah, that took off running and it's going to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, I might pivot. I, I'm not sure. I, I really am not sure. I think during this time of COVID and self-reflection, we've all kind of taken a peek at what do we want to do? and where do we want to go? And I, uh, I'm open. Where do you want to go? I have no idea. No? <laughs> I wish I could give you an, I don't know. I just feel like I'm open to, um, whatever life may throw at me. Yeah. Once this gets going, I want to see this through to the end though. Yeah. So, so, you know, one thing about this podcast is, you know, there's a, this is a pretty serious 
talk, but I, I, I'm not that serious a person at times. So, so I want to ask, you know, do you, what do you, do you like to watch certain shows or, or movies or read certain things? What's your, what's your escape or play um, Candy Crush or whatever, whatever it is. What? Okay. So this is actually, that's a perfect question. So I'm in a hotel room in New Hampshire. Okay. Cause I'm on the road all the time. And so I've got the, my little laptop set up on the little desk, you know, in the hotel room and right above it is the TV and it's got the real housewives of um, orange County on. Uh, and that's, that's one of your go-tos. It is. It's my like brain numb escape. You know, I, Ray, are you a real housewives fan? I'm a huge real housewives fan. I, I can't, I know, I know nothing about real Housewives. I can't no, really, not many men could stand it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they can. So I, so it looked like Gina was just in a fight with Shannon, Rhea. I, oh, I, I yeah. volume off. So I can't, I can't hear what they're saying. Oh, I wish you could pause it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pause it. I'm in a hotel. <laughs> what was that reality show that my kid is into right now? Some weird like dating love is blind or something. Oh, oh I, now it's the ultimatum. Oh, I don't even know. Those I heard about that. Yeah. Love is blind. And she was saying, oh, it's great. We have to watch it. I don't know. But I must confess, my my daughter, who Rhea knows, and that's how I know Rhea, um, was a big Bachelor fan. And she used to she used to get us sitting around the we'd watch it with her. You know, it was I can't believe I would I kind of would look forward to watching it with her. That was kind of my reality show that I watched a little bit. You know, long time ago, I used to watch, um, oh, this, this is going to deep me too, but, um, we're Carrie Underwood and, um, you know, the singer show. Oh, um, oh. Yes. When it first started, when it first, oh, yeah, started. it was so good. Now it's like, it's been on yeah. like years. It's kind of like, I don't, I can't yeah. watch it. Yeah. yeah we used true. to all get together as a neighborhood and watch it. That's true. I think most, I think a lot of people did. I, I mean, we watched it too. I remember that's true. It was file and devote. There was really something to it back in the day. What Kim, I meant to ask before we switched gears was how could we continue to support and spread awareness and, and be advocates for the unforgotten families? Um, I will give you the name Garrett Brill. And he is really the lead organizer guru for the unforgotten families. And I think he could absolutely probably give you some more concrete information. All right. Well, this was, this was really, I, I didn't even know this existed. And I think most, most people don't, right. I, I think, um, and clearly there's a need and, and I'm a believer now. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, and I'm surprised it's not here in California. It shocks me. And, and hopefully you're going to, continue to grow it and then figure out your, your next thing. Yes, absolutely. I'll keep it trucking. Kim Gordon. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to gross anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. So you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.